Hello, everybody. My name is Jason West, and this is PodClass. Today's episode is brought to you by the Cal State Long Beach College of Education and Educational Leadership Department. Did you know that the Educational Leadership Department at Cal State Long Beach is home to not one, not two, but three, count them, one, two, three advanced degree programs. One such program is the Educational Leadership Doctorate Program, a three-year program designed for working professionals in the PK-12 and higher education levels who want to further promote social justice in urban educational settings. What's particularly unique about the program is that higher ed and PK-12 students take many of their courses together, cue the We Are Family song, so that they can learn how to address problems across the educational spectrum. The program prides itself on providing high levels of support and practical knowledge so that students graduate on time and make a difference in their jobs. Interested in applying? The application window is currently open and closes on February 12th, 2021. Now, look, I know what you're thinking. Great idea, Jason. I'm 100% going to do this. I'm just going to put it on my to-do list. I've got a couple things i got to do first. Then I'm going to get to it. I promise. It, it, it's on there. It's just like maybe not like an immediate thing, but it's definitely going to be on the back burner. I'm 100% going to do it. It's just going to, you know, maybe maybe next week I'll, I'll visit it. Look, I, I get it. Well, you might be busy. But please, trust me when I tell you that in a pandemic, time means nothing. You're going to blink and, oh my gosh, it's already February 11th and you haven't even looked at the application. As soon as this podcast is over, go to the Cal State Long Beach website, open up that application, review it, start working on it now. Get those apps in. Information sessions are held through the fall semester and dates can be found at csulb.edu forward slash edld. Go Beach, go lead. Today's tea is provided by Snapdragon and Thistle. Do you know where your teas come from? I do. I know that my teas come from Snapdragon and Thistle. And fortunately for me, Snapdragon and Thistle knows where they get their tea. See, Snapdragon and Thistle prides themselves on sourcing their teas ethically. They've eliminated those pesky middlemen. Damn you, middlemen! After the leaves are picked, your leaves make only two stops before landing at your front door. It takes me more than two stops just to get out of bed. Like, legit. I wake up, I gotta reach for that alarm clock, boom, turn it off. I take the blanket off, I immediately regret it, put the blanket back on, count for five seconds and hope that maybe as soon as I take that blanket off it won't be as cold. No such luck. I take the blanket off, I check my phone, look if I have any emails, see if the world is on fire still. Look at that. Look at all those steps it took, and I haven't even stepped one foot out of bed. Snapdragon and Thistle takes only two steps from picking the tea to getting to your door. Snapdragon and Thistle provides the best prices for premium, ethically grown teas, so both your taste buds and your conscience can enjoy your cup of tea. Snapdragon and Thistle is now offering PodClass listeners a 10% discount on their next order. What? You heard that correctly. I have my own promo code, y'all. All you have to do is go over to snapdragonandthistle.com. That's S-N-A-P-D-R-A-G-O-N-A-N-D-T-H-I-S-T-L-E.com. That's right, I spelled that whole thing for you. And enter the promo code MrWestT20. That's M-R-W-E-S-T-T-E-A-2-0. 
2-0. Can you believe it? I have my own promo code. Man! Okay, well, I take a moment to bask in the glory of having my own promo code. Why don't we go ahead and get the show started? Cue the music. special guests today are doctors, that's plural, doctors Brian Jerski and Nicole Wesley. Dr. Jerski is the provost and senior vice president of academic affairs at Cal State Long Beach. Dr. Wesley is a former high school principal and current assistant superintendent for human resources at Redondo Beach Unified School District. Dr. Jersey, Dr. Wesley, it's a pleasure to have you both on the show. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Thanks for inviting us. It's great to be with you, Jason and Nikki. Uh, it's a real pleasure to hear uh, our students and instructors uh, teaching. I'm really excited. This is not only my first interview via Zoom, it is my first dual interview via Zoom. So uh, I'm going to expect some feedback on how I'm managing to bounce back and forth. I am very excited to learn from you both today. But before we get into it, I want to start with a quick segment we are calling Intersectionality. <laughs> See, I told you, it's impossible to be married to me. Today we are drinking English Builder's Tea, provided to us from Snapdragon and Thistle. Now, today's tea we are drinking is English Builder's Tea, also known in some parts of the UK as a builder's brew. The tea is made by combining Indian, Chinese, and Indonesian black teas. And when you order it, you're basically asking for a really strong tea. The creation of Builder's Tea is really interesting. It basically changed the game for teas because it was an inexpensive tea that was primarily brewed in the mug, kind of like how most people drink their tea today, as opposed to using loose leaves in a teapot. And it got its name from British labor workers who would commonly drink this tea on the job site during their breaks. The tea has a rich brown color and has this robust, slightly malty and fairly well-rounded flavor. Just do yourself a favor and don't steep it for too long or it'll become bitter to the point where it's basically undrinkable. A classic cup of builder's tea includes milk and a couple of teaspoons of white sugar. But of course, that is optional. If you are a purist like me, I just drink my tea with no additives. But if you wanna go for the historic route, that's where you're gonna go, milk and sugar. Enjoy. So, the two of you are probably wondering why we're drinking builder's tea today, right? I mean, how does builder's tea intersect with education and personal identity? You both know something about building, especially lately, given that we've basically had to completely remodel how we approach instruction over the last nine months. We don't even begin the process of building an entirely new and equitable system of instruction. In, and in keeping with this analogy, do you start by first identifying what needs to be dismantled, or do you focus first on building whatever elements need to be ad added? I'll start with you, Dr. Wesley. Well, I think you start with 
identifying what needs to be added or what needs to be built, identifying the issues and figuring out a roadmap to that reopening, as we call it here in RBUSD, um, sitting down and figuring out what did it used to look like and now what will it look like given the new guidelines and the new road bumps that we are encountering. How about you, Dr. Jersey? Well, I mean, one of the things that I was most um, pleased about was that we only had a week to, to do this in, because if we had had four years, we would never have had enough time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... Death by idea? What's that? I said death by idea. Well, it's, uh, it's partly that, and it's also partly that... Uh, you know, imminent execution tends to focus the mind. And uh, really, we gave our faculty, as you know, at Long Beach, more or less 10 days to come up with an entirely new way of teaching. And what's incredible to me is that it was so successful. And what it means to me is that I think that our faculty are so committed to teaching and also what we've discovered, our students are so committed to learning that uh, we're willing to forgive each other our mistakes, our inevitable errors, our um, you know, little mess ups that we, that we experience. And so I think it's really brought out the best in people in, in an odd way. Yeah, I mean, we all walk the walk and talk the talk about how amazing and resilient people in education, right? Students and teachers are in general. What's something you've seen over the last nine months from students and teachers that has actually surprised you in a good way? Well, I would, I would say their willingness to learn all of the new platforms that we had to implement quickly, um, as Dr. Jersey said, uh, within a matter of days so that we can continue to deliver the, the content and the instruction uh, remotely. And you know, if you imagine a spectrum of, of teachers and their abilities to use technology, we have those who are very tech savvy and excited about learning these new platforms and those that are just not interested or um, maybe even fearful of trying the, the new platforms or trying the new technology. Um, but what I was most impressed was the, the collaboration of the teachers getting together and working it out together and helping each other and uh, really just jumping in to support each other so that everybody could get online and continue that level of instruction. Um, I'd say one element that we have at the PK-12 level are the wonderful parents. <laughs> they are still stakeholders that we um, we have to involve in our process and um, have to get feedback from as we developed our reopening plan. Yeah, I'd like to piggyback on what uh, Dr. Wesley said, because of course, um, the fact that there was incredible cooperation, this could never have happened without that. And there was cooperation, not only between uh, instructors, but uh, among instructors and, and, and scholars. Uh, our parents too were engaged. Uh, our alumni were engaged. Uh, our legislature is engaged. People uh, by and large have been very realistic and 
in a way, realism pays because, uh, as I said, the fact that we had relatively little time to do this means that we can't do our favorite thing in academia, which is critique. Uh, so yes, would we have done this at this time in this way if we had had years to plan it? No, of course not. But given that the alternative was absolutely no instruction anywhere, almost anything we did was a plus. Right. And yeah. so that was Perfect quite the enemy of good, right? You know, yeah. Like, no mm -hmm. yeah. I think the other advantage is that every district and every college and university was going through this globally. And, um, and just knowing that nobody else has ever dealt with the situation and we're all trying to figure it out together gives us some level of grace. Um, and the feeling that we can't really fail, you know, we can only try and succeed and then try again, but um, failing really didn't seem as though it was an option. So understanding that, yeah, everyone in the country is going through this in some form or another, you know, most schools are doing distant learning and we all kind of understand the difficulties that typically arise with that. But what challenges have caught you most off guard during this transition? Well, I'd say one of the things that has come to the fore most strongly for us at, at the university level, or at least at Long Beach, is uh, the differential access that our students have to technology. And in fact, what was most surprising to me, because that wasn't as surprising because we knew about that, what was surprising to me was how widespread differential access is for our faculty as well. Mm. And there were many faculty, for example, who don't have very good computers or don't have very good internet service. Uh, or don't have appropriate uh, home conditions to to teach or to or to give instruction effectively with, and so that was that caught me a little bit off guard. And luckily, we've been able to um, manage it, mitigate it a little bit. We've we've uh, been able to give out uh, several thousand hotspots actually to both students and faculty. And we've also been able to give various forms of laptops to uh, mostly students, but also some faculty. So there's one thing. Right. I would say locally in Redondo Beach, uh, one of the biggest hurdles for us um, wasn't so much the technology. We're very fortunate that we have a one-to-one -one devices and we have our faculty all have laptops, et cetera. Maybe there were some homes that needed hotspots, which we also gave out. But really it was these, the staff um, trying to manage their own personal families and children and, and lives at, simultaneously was still delivering some level of instruction. And now we've taken the classroom and we've opened we've opened it up in their own homes, right? And the level of comfort with having uh, that live interaction with students um, with who knows what's going on in the background. Um, and so that was definitely a challenge for some of our staff. Uh, I, I would say that more, um, I think more nationally or even just within the LA County and talking to my job alikes in LA County um, area, really seeing a disparity in the technology and 
this is where we, we really have to think about equity and access and knowing that, and you know, in Redondo Beach, we are fortunate to have this one-to-one -one program. And so pivoting 100% online wasn't as much of a shift as perhaps a district that may be 10 or 15 miles away, where a majority of their students, unfortunately, if we break it down demographically, would be like in your, your inner city, your um, larger minority populations did not have the same level of technology um, that other districts may have. And so I think that's where, you know, in the long run, we're going to have to evaluate the impact of that. And in a similar but sort of unrelated to technology way, perhaps is the, uh, the differential impact, especially on women uh, and in general caretakers of children or elder adults. Um, the, there's, there's an impact not only on, on uh, their ability to focus on their students, but their ability to plan, to give instruction, and that's been something that we've we've become very aware of at the university level where faculty are not only engaged in instruction but also in service to the campus and and research and scholarly activity it's pretty hard to write a peer-reviewed article if you've got three kids and uh, two parents to look after in a two-bedroom apartment what surprised me during this whole thing is kind of piggybacking and combining the things that you were talking about is, you know, I always knew the digital divide existed. And I thought, you know, that the digital divide was in its most simplistic form, a lack of access to internet and technology. And I thought when this all happened, it's like, well, you know, it's fine because we are a one-to-one -one district. And if, you know, a family doesn't have internet, we'll give them hotspots. Right. What I, and what, what teachers learned very quickly, uh, and what really surprised me about this is, you know, I'm a, I'm a crazy person. We have, we're a cordless house. We are only streaming uh, TV, things like that. So I, I made sure years ago that, you know, the, th the thing that I put my money toward is the highest speed internet I can get. And that has paid dividends. But if I, before I was a cord cutting household, if I just got the internet that I would have before, which is always good internet, and I had one child on Zoom, I'd be fine. But if I had multiple children on Zoom, my good internet was suddenly not good internet. Right. Um, and if I had a hotspot, yes, I could access Zoom, but the video component would eat up every bit of the of the bandwidth that the hotspot would provide and so I could I couldn't speak I was moving in like kind of stuttered movements because it would lag and if you know if I had two people on that hotspot it's like I may as well have nothing at all and so that was a real eye-opener for me was how dependent we are on high-speed internet to make this work because otherwise the way we've been teaching it just won't, you, you, can't, you can't do it. You can't check for understanding. You can't have collaborative conversations. There's just like a lot of elements that go into it. And it's so much more nuanced than, oh, I don't have access to internet or technology. And we're just, and so right now we're just talking about technology and trying to maintain some level of status quo, whatever that is, in terms of delivering instruction. But the, the added layer on top of that 
it relates to more of the social emotional needs of our students and our staff and then the developmental health issues and the anxiety and then just the the fact that a lot of people are dealing with the with covid and the impact that's having on their families, whether it be a loss of a job or the illness itself, or just the fear of catching it or having a symptom and wondering if they have it. So coupled on top of trying to deliver instruction and or, and or transition your, your in-person lesson to a remote lesson, now we have that anxiety and that fear and that stress and that right. wondering how we're going to pay our bills, et cetera. Or, or if you're a you know a family that never needed internet because that's not where you're going to put your money. Your kids are in school, and if they ever needed access to the to the internet, you'd take them to the library. But now all of these resources have been cut off, and what that must do, like you were saying, social emotionally, what that does to you as a parent, if suddenly you can't provide for your kids the education that they need, or you're struggling to find a way to get the kids that you you know you've kind of made this internal oath to give them everything you you know you can and 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 you're coming up short what that must do and how that trickles down into the children of the household it's it is so much more nuanced and complex than we realize and i think we're gonna see the reverberations for years uh i'm I'm gonna ask you both shifting gears a little bit um (laughs) before we get too down on this uh i'm I want to shift gears uh, and ask you both two challenging questions, uh, one each. Uh, I'll start with Dr. Wesley. You know, speaking with administrators, you you get the sense that they're in this like lose-lose position where, you know, on the one hand, you know, they feel almost sort of neutered because they can't make the decisions for their site like they've been able to in the past because understandably the district has to pass down these, you know, COVID related mandates. But on the other hand, they're still looked at by staff and students and other stakeholders like parents as decision makers. And so, you know, they're working like crazy trying to make things happen, but they also have no real input in this. How do you as a, an assistant superintendent address the social emotional needs of your leaders to keep them emotionally and spiritually afloat in a time like that? Uh, Well, just to back up uh, one step, in terms of making sure that our administrators have a voice when it comes to determining how we're going to reopen or how we're going to manage this crisis, um, many districts, including our district, had think tanks, uh, which were made up of various stakeholders, which included our school administrators from elementary, middle to high school, and even those that weren't on the think tank did have the ability to, to provide a voice or an opinion, and we kept them updated on a weekly basis. Um, and, and that was led by our superintendent, and I was on that think tank. Um, and that think tank came up with every type, every aspect of reo- on a reopening plan you can think of, from safety to what the schedule is going to be and, you know, how you're going to track any type of uh, COVID um, infections, et cetera. Um, you know, PPE, et cetera. Uh, as far as the social emotional wellness, so that's definitely in my arena as the assistant superintendent of human resources. And we're fortunate to have a partnership with Beach City's health district. And so we're rolling out an employee wellness program. We did have one last year at three school sites, but this year it'll be for all students. And it's a way to really kind of challenge them to stay focused on their 
uh, physical, uh, emotional, and, and social health, and even their financial health, um, with various challenges. It's fun. It's it's there's a little bit of competition, etc. Um, and so we encourage our site leaders to get involved and get their teachers involved, et cetera, rolling it out in October. But that's one way um, that we try to support our staff and obviously being here for them, having, again, some level of grace and understanding, um, empathizing with this, the this individual situations that they're going through, knowing that there's going to be times where they're not going to be at their optimal best in terms of delivering instruction. Dr. Jersky, you're in an, in an interesting position that is very different than what Dr. Uh, Wesley is in, in that you're getting information from the state and experts in the field. And unlike what Dr. Wesley deals with, you have people on your campus who are also like experts in the field who are doing research and writing papers on this. Have you ever encountered a moment where you have people on your campus saying, well, that's not, that's not right. Or that doesn't make sense why we're doing it this way. We should be doing it this way. And I know because this is what I do my research on versus what you're hearing from experts from the state or other health officials is how do you balance any competitive thinking when it comes to this, these uncharted charted territories? Well, that's an interesting question, you know, Jason, because, um, it's uh, luckily, perhaps, uh, only hypothetical. It hasn't come up. And I think the reason it hasn't come up is that, as you know, President Connolly and I don't really believe in top-down uh, hierarchical management. And so while, for example, we get medical advice or health advice from L.A. County or... Uh, the state or the legislature, um, how we interpret that is really quite largely up to us. And so, um, you know, we have not, for example, mandated any particular way to teach or any particular way to do research or any particular way to interact. Um, now, it may be that people initially were suspicious and said, well, why can't we come into our offices? Because I know that I can clean my office myself and why do, we, why do you have to insist that I don't? But once I think people trust that the reason we're doing this is not because I suddenly have an animus against you coming into your office, but uh, that the health authorities have told us that that will be dangerous and uh, when I think in particular people saw what happened at other universities that had made different choices, uh, then they kind of, the, the, the very few people who were querying those kinds of decisions said, oh, okay, now we get it. And really the reason we did it was because as our chancellor said, we have two North Stars, the health and safety of our students, staff, and faculty. And number two, the education of our students. And so by those two North Stars, we steer. So there is no doubt in my mind that there are probably hundreds of faculty members who know more than I do about distance education. But if you look and see what I have said about distance education, you will see it's a vanishingly small amount 
because I know that the faculty are experts and so I can leave it to them. What I can do is for those faculty who are not and who are anxious and desperate perhaps for, for material is to offer professional development. And as you know, that's precisely what we did over the summer with our CARES funding. We spent quite a large fraction of that providing professional development to faculty with questions about how to use technology, what good ways of uh, assessment happen to be. Again, uh, I trust the faculty to deliver the best instruction they can in whatever circumstance we're placing them. So luckily, uh, your question is only hypothetical. One question that has been sort of burning in my mind since this whole thing began and we're talking about distance learning, what are some strategies or policies that Dr. Wesley, your district and Dr. Jersky, your university, what are some strategies and policies that are being put? Let me try that again. What are some, what are some strategies and or policies that you are putting in place for homeless students who don't necessarily have that consistent place to go for distant learning where there's internet or where there's even just a space? How do we, you know, how do we deliver education to students who normally the school, the classroom was the place where they could go consistently? Well, uh, well, I can say that you're maybe aware that the LA County Department of Public Health just changed the guidelines to allow us to bring back the most vulnerable populations to our school sites, which includes our special education students, our homeless and foster youth, and our English language learners. Um, and so we are actually putting into place a plan to provide on-site services for those populations of students. Um, but in addition to that, prior to them returning next week, uh, actually, um, we have our counselors who are making a, a concerted effort to reach out to our vulnerable populations, our homeless and our foster youth, to make sure uh, that they have the necessary um, you know, supports that they may need. Uh, whether it be uh, food, we are, you know, we're in the service to provide lunches and breakfasts to our students. We have locations where food can be picked up. Um, we'll make deliveries. Um, maybe it's additional support on how to use, again, the online platforms that our teachers have been trained on. Um, you know, we're now looking at rolling out tutoring services, and um, we have built in intervention time for our students within our schedule, our daily schedule. So it's really just identifying those students and making sure that they, they get the individualized supports that they need. Right, and I think just to piggyback on that, you know, some of the services that are available on our campus, like uh, in Dr. Wesley's case, we have um, our on-campus on health and mental wellness uh, advisors and counselors. We also have um, the Beach Pantry available, which we do in conjunction with our student organization, the ASI. And we've had a couple of successful drive-through uh, food provision uh, situations, which have been good. And then in terms of your question about homeless students, uh, which are sadly uh, a significant fraction of our students, uh, that is one of the exceptions that the state granted us to 
put people up in the in the residential halls. So of we we limited substantially the number of people on campus in residence. Uh, we got down to about, uh, if you want to know the exact number, it was 326. And of those, quite a significant number were students who were either homeless or couch surfing or needed a place to stay. So I think everyone was as flexible as we could be. And obviously, there's a hierarchy of needs. A student who's homeless needs the place more than someone who just wants to hang out in Long Beach. Right. So. Okay, so we'll shift gears a little bit because I want to get to something that I find very fun, which is sort of the inventor's mindset, creative, theoretical thing, right? We all know that the pandemic has changed the way we look at education right now. Do you think it's changed the way we look at education in the long term? And if so, in what ways? Well, I would say yes. Uh, I'd say for one, um, we can see that parents now have access to uh, their their teachers and to meetings um, much easier. And I think about just in the last this time last year when we were having let's say an IEP meeting or a 504 plan meeting or even a parent conference, there was always this emphasis on when can the parent come in? There's my lights. Um, <laughs> when can the parent come in? And um, now, you know, that we are accustomed to using, you know, Zoom or WebEx, parents can easily jump in on a meeting from their office or from home. And I have a feeling that that's going to continue moving forward. Uh, also, just in terms of the idea of the flipped classroom, it's not really a new concept, but it's not one that everyone embraced. But really, we're seeing a lot of that happening now where we're pushing out the content ahead of the actual direct instruction because the uh, amount of time, the synchronous learning time is much less than it would be if we were having a normal school schedule. So because of that, the asynchronous time is um, primarily used to push out content for students to digest, kind of explore, um, figure out what their questions are so that synchronous time can be used for the teacher to answer questions and dive a little bit deeper. So I have a feeling that's going to continue when we come back to school. Yeah, and I think uh, it will reflect the changes. The change in education will re reflect the changes in society that I suspect will happen. Um, I mean, one is not sure whether we're going to resume uh, five day a week on site, uh, eight hour being present. Uh, you know, it may be perfectly feasible to come in to work mm -hmm. uh, less often than before. And I mean, I think, you know, in terms, Jason, of your question of imagination and building, just think of how much of our physical building on campus is offices for people to sit in. And imagine if that half those offices were no longer needed and we could take those offices and convert them into small seminar type classrooms uh, so that, for example, the flipped classroom idea could suddenly be feasible and faculty could, you know, deliver lecture type instructions virtually perhaps and then have that relationship building because after all, whatever technology is, education is about relationship. And uh, how do you develop relationships? I think we're better at developing relationships or even uh, uh, 
maintaining relationships online than we used to be a year ago. And so I, I see big changes and exciting ones too. Uh, that obviously it's not just me, but everyone engaged is going to have to come up with new ideas. What, what have you found as, a, as a, in, in, in your teaching or your instruction? What, what do you see as new? Uh, well, uh, it's an interesting question. I, basically, the entire method in which I have grown comfortable in teaching and what I've mastered uh, or excelled in, uh, or cultivated for myself, I had to be comfortable with putting most of it in a drawer and saying, mm. I'll come back to it when we come back in person. And I spent the better part of the last few weeks meditating on how to reinvent education in a way that I haven't seen that it's existed holistically anywhere. Uh, you know, I, I, I did some research and I saw like a couple things here and a couple things there, but nothing that was going to work for all of my kids and in a way that would allow me to teach the content effectively, to engage the students and give it real world application, but also like you were saying, build relationships. Uh, and, and so I've recently come up with a system that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of. Uh, I'm still, you know, modifying it, tweaking it, building layers upon it as we grow in complexity when we get more comfortable with this uh, scenario. But, you know, it basically starts with we come together and we do just like a five minute check-in activity that's not even about life, but just, you know, silly questions like uh, on a scale of one to five, one being nothing at all, five being as many uh, toppings as you can put on, how do you eat your ice cream? Uh, or, you know, the, the, the question I asked was, uh, the other day was, just answer in the chat, the word before or after, do you brush your teeth before or after breakfast? And it just like becomes this thing where, you know, it sort of gets people thinking, get, gets us connecting, and then I tell them a bit about myself. And then we get right into our warm-up prompt. And then uh, I send them into these little independent breakout rooms by themselves with the work that I've put together and the amount of work that I'm putting into this year to, towards making 30-second to three-minute videos of either me giving directions or me giving mini lectures right before the assignment so that it's you know, like how I would talk to them in class but it's, you know, they can watch it again and again if they need to. And the key about the individual breakout rooms is that anytime they need to, with Zoom anyway, there's a little button that says call host in for help. And so I'm bouncing in and out of these individual breakout rooms to work with kids one-on-one, -on -one, ask them questions, uh, get to know them as well, start side conversations like you would when you are in yeah. class and you say, okay, get to work. Um, now, I mean, you know, what you're describing is so exciting to me. And uh, because if, if you can imagine that you're one teacher, uh, multiply that by, you know, two million, and you have a whole new idea yeah. about teaching. I now, mean, I mean completely some, some, some of that, some of that you may just, you know, when, when the magic wand is waved and this all disappears, 
you may just throw all that away and say, okay, well, I'll just go back to what I did before. But the right. chances, I would say, of that happening are quite small. Right. Correct. I, I, I agree. Like I said, it's, it's what's exciting for me is the idea that, you know, I, I don't want to uh, pump myself up too much or take too much credit because, I mean, I basically looked wow. out into the world and was like, oh, this is kind of what people do on their YouTube channels uh, yeah. when it's not related to education. This is what, you know, instructors do uh, on online uh, exercise platforms, things like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of picking from a little bit, but the, the, the big shift in education is really exciting, but it also might provide some trappings in that, you know, uh, Dr. Jersky, you talked about teachers, professors who want to come back to their offices. And, you know, one of the thing, one of the people that immediately come to mind are, are, are science professors. And how do they give science lectures from their home without their tools and things like that? And if they end up making all these videos, is it their property? You know, the, the videos, are they, is that their intellectual property? Is it, you know, for the schools because they used school devices like, you know, in Dr. Wesley's district or, you know, if they're using the lectures. It, there's, there's a lot that we, it, it's the Wild West right now. And there's, there's a lot that we have to figure out. Created for some of these issues, like when you talk about labs, you know, students have to take labs at, in high school to be eligible mm -hmm. for the four-year university in chemistry. And they do have um, now there's companies where you can send out the lab kits to the to the students' homes. Obviously, there's a cost associated with that, sure. um, but th there are solutions. And you know, the, the other thing I just wanted to add is, you know, in thinking of the future, I think the longer that we're out, the more we're going to adjust to this new normal. And I also think there's there's two positives. One, um, there's an ed code that says that students who um, are not engaging in their work, meaning they're not logging on synchronously or they're not turning in their assignments. Um, you know, three consecutive days in a row are considered to be disengaged and therefore we are required to reach out to them. Mm -hmm. um, so we've all created systems to figure out who these, you know, fill out a Google form, notify the counselor, of these disengaged students. And I think about the students who sat in the back of the class or even in the middle of the classroom who were disengaged maybe all along, but because they were physically present, we assumed that they were um, engaged in the lesson and you know maybe they they skirted by with a c or maybe they are below a c but i think just even the way in which we measure student engagement i didn't wonder with you jason i hear stories about students who rarely spoke but now when you put them in a small chat room they're more likely to engage with their peers and and in the in the lesson that's being delivered and i'm not sure if you're seeing that but you know that could be a positive outcome to get kids to engage in a new platform I, I will say that kids do seem to be less reticent to participate when they're chatting, but I've, I'm also seeing more, uh, I've seen more of students' ceilings in the last two weeks <laughs> than I've, I've could ever imagine, just or just like the tops of their heads and only the tops of their heads because they feel so self-conscious about being on camera and so they tilt their cameras way up and I'm like, Y'all, I, I can't just talk to your hairline. Please let me see your face if, if you're comfortable showing your face, but I can't just see your hairline. It makes me crazy. We started- In my case, that would be very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, I, I told him, I said, I'm working my way up there too. The more I teach kids and the more I have work with my own two little ones, the, the farther and farther back my hairline is migrating. 
just uh, wait. <laughs> we but, started. Um, oh yeah, go on. No, I was going to say that's such a good point, you know. And look, I mean, really, no, no one method, whether it's face to face, whether it's technology, whether it's whatever we think of. There's always going to be people who are disengaged. There's going to be people who are not reached. There's going to be people for whom that method is not optimal. We know that. But but what this does, I think, and to Dr. Wesley's point, is that this suddenly gives us new ways of attempting to reach people who we didn't reach before. Right. And, uh, you know, whether it's feelings, whether it's, uh, whether it's um, ability to interact through a social medium, whatever it is. That, and, and I think that's quite exciting because really how much have we progressed in the last few hundred years from, from chalk and talk? Right. I mean, and gone are the days when you have, uh, you know, an illness and you just are home. I mean, you can come in back remotely, you know, if we do go back to a setting, uh, a right. tangible setting, you know, there's just I, so I, many new, there's so many new ways to engage mm -hmm. your staff and your students. Um, now that we are become accustomed to, meeting remotely. I tell you, we can certainly save on substitute teachers, that's for sure. <laughs> At the beginning of this interview, yeah. we talked about English builders tea and building out new things. So I want to wrap up on a similar topic as I get toward the bottom of my tea mug here. Are there elements to your, you know, beginning of the year procedures that you plan on scrapping for good as a result of the pandemic? Uh, are there elements that you plan on keeping for good as the result of the pandemic? Like, wow, this worked way better than it ever worked before. Let's keep that going. How has this changed the way you begin a year, the way you build out the culture of your school year? Uh, well, I can start. Um, and the first thing that comes to mind isn't so much tangible. It's more about relationships and having a relationship with our unions we have three unions in our school district and if we had not have a collaborative transparent uh, relationship with our unions we would not have gotten to a point where we could have a reopening plan because we did have to negotiate um, memorandums of understandings with our unions since their their jobs have changed in essence the locations times etc so the so we had to come to an agreement and we were able to do that uh, respectfully and amicably and really with a sense of us, us all being in this together. So I would say the one thing that is positive that has come from this is that we are, feel like we have even even stronger relationship with our unions. We're not gonna always agree, um, but you know, as I'm sitting here, our union president has sent me a text to call her. <laughs> and, and that's not a problem. It's like, we just what is the problem? Let's just try to solve it together. And it doesn't have to be this formal um, antagonistic approach to solving a problem. It's just a much more quick dialogue and fo focus on solutions. Um, in terms of scrapping, uh, you know, that one I'd have to really think about. I can't really think of anything that we would, uh, a suggestion we would, an idea I thought we'd scrap, but if I think of something, I'll, I'll share after Dr. Jersky. Okay. Well, one of the things that turned out to be <clears throat> surprisingly positive was our interactions of our advisors 
and faculty members, faculty and professional staff with, with incoming freshmen and transfer students. And I mean, just to sort of give, give your listeners a, a view, an idea of the scale of this, we have about 5,000 incoming freshmen into Cal State Long Beach every year and about 5,000 transfers. So, I mean, all those students have to be contacted, advised, uh, um, and, and appropriately uh, managed in that way. And that's usually done face-to-face, uh, and it's, people have complained about it for years, and because of the silos in that existing education, I'm sure you're surprised to hear it, uh, we have uh, demarcation issues between academic affairs and student affairs, administration and finance, all those things. And suddenly those things vanished because, of course, we couldn't meet face-to-face. So we're all on a call together. And remarkably, advising turned out to be not only much more efficient, but also much more effective for students, according to what they tell us. Hmm. So, yes, I think we will scrap uh, that kind of sequential face-to-face, you know, start in this building and speak to that person and then go to another building and speak to another person and if that doesn't work, go to a third building and speak to that person and by that time they've gone home. Um, Instead, it's all kind of done face-to-face and then you can reserve the face-to-face interactions for the tough questions. Hmm. Uh, so, so that was a quite a startling revelation in some ways, and of course, like most startling revelations, when you look back on them, it's so obvious. Why didn't we think of that before? <laughs> yeah, like oh my gosh, this is of yeah. course this is going to be better. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would agree. We've we've had a few things where we've done we've transitioned remotely out of need. Like for instance, a new teacher orientation we have every year in person, two days which we did remotely in one day. And it was very efficient and we've got great feedback. Our superintendent holds an all school rally with all you know, of our basically thousand staff members in our high school auditorium. And we were able to push that out remotely, still highlighting all those who have been here for five, 10, 15, 20 years and everyone giving a quick little speech. And then you can watch it <laughs> as many times as you wanted to. Um, even at the end of the, the last school year in the spring, um, I'm in charge of having a retiree's dinner, right? And I obviously couldn't do that. So I created a video highlighting every single retiree and was able to really kind of dive deeper into what are you going to do when you retire and what is the most enjoyable thing you did as an educator? And the entire district got to see it, whereas only those, those coming to the dinner would have gotten to see it. And everyone remarked, wow, we should do this every year. So I do think, like Dr. Jersky said, we are going to start to change how we go about um, either starting our year or providing in-services or connecting with new people or those that are leaving us. Dr. Wesley, uh, you mentioning something you know that you would change at the end of the year, uh, and Dr. Jersky talking about looking back, going like, oh, of course this would have been better, <laughs> makes me think about at the end of the year, these drive-through graduations. Oh, yeah. I mean, short of, uh, you know, short of incorporating technology in the classroom is probably the greatest thing to happen to education in I don't know how many years, but the idea that I can be in my car with a couple of close family members and my graduate, we drive 
through the campus to say goodbye to the campus one last time. They say my kid's name. We drive off. We're done. We're done. We're not in the hot sun. We're not listening to names for an hour or two at a time. Oh, they called my kid's name first. Now I got to sit here forever. I'm not looking way down onto the field. I think that's my kid. It's like, you're right there. You're taking photos. You're really part of it. Grandma is, you know, in it. It's the best. It's the best. I was like, we got to do this every year, pandemic or not. Like this, I, I don't know why we would ever go back to another way after that. Well, let me tell you that, uh, Although I personally agree with you, uh, there is a lot of fierce opinion uh, which wants to go back to the traditional way. Sure. And yeah. so uh, we, we, may have to, we may have to think about multiple ways of satisfying people's needs. But well, probably in a That's one of those that's going to create a little more work. <laughs> I, promise, I, I promise, Dr. Drisky, when I finish this uh, EDD program, I will do a car ride. <laughs> I will be there in my car, honking right through. Okay, well, onto you know, a restaurant. It's, it's it's difficult enough to cap the doctoral graduates uh, when they're standing on the stage. It's going to be really tough uh, if you're in the car. But we'll figure out something. <laughs> Whip it through the the, the, <laughs> the window. window. I'll catch it. I promise. Yeah. Yeah, uh, okay. I'm going to get you all out of here on this. I do this with every single one of my guests. I don't, quote unquote, I don't believe in homework because, you know, we've already talked about this before. Some students don't have a home to go to to do the work. Some students don't have the uh, available time to do the sheer quantity of work that we sometimes give our students. Uh, and frankly, if they're not getting in your class, they're not getting it at home. Uh, they won't like magically figure it out. So rather than giving a homework assignment to my pod class audience, I'm gonna offer them an extra credit assignment. And I would like each of you to offer an extra credit assignment to the podcast audience. This could be a book they should read, a movie they should check out, a type of food they should eat, uh, an album to listen to. It can be anything from academic to self-care. This is your assignment, it's extra credit. Do with it what you want. I'm gonna start with you, Dr. Wesley. Okay, well, I would like to recommend a podcast, and it's a serial podcast, um, S-E-R-I-A-L, and it's called Nice White Parents, and it is really good, and it, it really does deal with uh, integration, current day integration, um, and diversity, or lack thereof, and um, we'll leave it at that. It's really good. Six episodes. It's quick, fast, and after you listen to the first episode, you will want to listen to the rest. Only because it sounds really interesting and only because it's about equity, am I going to allow that to air? Otherwise, you recommending a competitor is devastating. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It sounds great. Dr. Jersky. Well, I'm going to be old-fashioned and recommend a book that I read. And uh, it is dealing with one of the other five things that are happening in the world in addition to COVID. So, you know, just to sort of tell you what I'm thinking of. So there's COVID, there's economic malaise, there's political turmoil, there's fires, there's bad air quality, there's politics. In the meantime, how can people make a positive difference? Here is a book that I read. 
and it is called How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. And your assignment for those who are listening and for those who are um, interested is to read it and come up with points with which you agree and points with which you disagree and have a discussion in your next uh, breakout session when uh, Mr. West thinks you're discussing Mill on the Floss or something and talk about that. So how about that? That sounds good. So we got a book, How to Be Anti-Racist, and a pod class called Good White Parents. Nice White Parents. Right? Nice White Parents. Topics are very similar, so. You know what? And again, it's, it's centered around equity. I was talking to uh, another educator, and he was talking to me about uh, equity in education, and we were talking about the podcast, and he was like, oh, you know, how much of your podcast is going to deal with equity in education? Because that's an issue that's really important to me. And I said, it's 2020. There is nothing that you can talk about in education that doesn't immediately connect to equity or inequity. So I think these are both very important assignments. This is a, a very important conversation that we all had, and I'm really glad we did that. And I thank you all for being on the show, for being my first podcast presented by Cal State Long Beach guests. Well, you're very welcome. It's been great, and it's great to meet you, Nikki, and great to see you again, Jason, and uh, go Beach, and uh, have a great Thanks. class. Thanks for inviting us, Jason. It was a great session. You're a great host, by the way. Okay, that is our show. I want to thank our very special guests, Drs. Wesley and Jersky, for joining us, and thank you, my pod classmates, for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, don't be a stranger. Reach out. Let me know. I can be found on all social media platforms with the username at TeachMeMrWest. I can also be reached via email at podclasspod. That's podclasspod at gmail.com. As mentioned, this is a new and exciting show, which means we need all the help we can get letting the world know just how great it is. If you wouldn't mind, please go to wherever you get your podcasts and go ahead and give this show a five-star review. Or, you know, if reviews aren't your thing, why don't you tell three friends to check out the show? If you tell three friends, and they tell three friends, and they tell three friends, we can turn this podcast into the greatest pyramid scheme the world has ever seen. Or, you know, just write a review. Whichever you feel most comfortable doing. Until next time, Podclass Dismissed. <laughs>